Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. H.L. Mencken famously said, capital is timid. Mr. Mencken never met Louise Perraris. Dr. Perraris is the founding partner of two venture capital funds, Health Equity and Invivo Ventures. These funds focus upon the early stage healthcare sector. Dr. Perraris is also the author of Innovation and Entrepreneurship in the Healthcare Sector. Unfortunately, great ideas are not enough to advance healthcare. Business skills and capital investments are needed as well. The stakes for venture capitalists in the healthcare space and for the general public could not be higher. Prepare to enter the world of the VC. Let's begin. My guest today is Luis Pereiras. He is a physician and an entrepreneur. He founded the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Program at the Barcelona Medical Association. Dr. Pereiras is an internationally recognized expert in the area of physician entrepreneurship. Doctor, welcome to Sound Practice. Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, a pleasure. So there is a growing landscape of physician entrepreneurs. On this interview, I'd like to focus on how physicians can differentiate a good idea from a good business opportunity. Is that something you could help us with? I think I may, uh, yes, because uh, let's just, uh, for the audience to understand what I do for a living, let me explain very briefly. Uh, we receive here, because we, I'm the founder of one venture capital fund, in fact, two venture capital funds that invests in biotech companies. So I'm very used to hearing uh, ideas from entrepreneurs, physicians, or research guys. And um, we receive 500 to 1,000 uh, business plans per year, and we choose the three, four, five uh, that uh, that we are going to invest in, right? So I've seen uh, lots of ideas. And let me tell you, the most important thing to understand what a good idea is, is understanding the clinical need that's behind that idea. That's uh, very, very important. I mean, the best idea to me, if you want like the best idea in a nutshell would be a very high clinical need with a very solid science approach of this clinical need that can get the patient to a delta of improvement that it's meaningful. So those three things in the same sentence, I think summarize what, what a good idea is. Purposes of our, our audience, doctor, can you tell us a little bit about your own journey as a, as a physician leader and how you became involved in what you are? I think our audience are physician leaders, and they'd be very interested in, in your background and story. For sure, Mike. I mean, I started, I, I did my, uh, my medicine uh, career, and, and I, I became a neurosurgeon. And then I, um, I was a neurosurgeon for 11 years. But then at the same time, I had, like, from the very beginning, since I was a kid, a very entrepreneurial style of approaching life. And I built uh, a couple of companies while being a neurosurgeon. 
And then finally, I went to the US and uh, Europe to do an MBA because I, I thought that I could have more influence even on patients by, uh, by building a venture capital fund and investing in those ideas, right? So I finally ended up by fundraising for my first venture capital fund. And then now we are on the second venture capital fund and we do invest in, in ideas across the world. So that's in, that's in a nutshell, my story very briefly explained. Are entrepreneurs born or made? Well, that's a very good one, Mike. It's difficult. I, I, I think they are made in a more important way, although this doesn't mean that we can't find people with natural abilities that make them especially successful, of course. But let me just uh, to try to engage physicians in entrepreneurship, say that anyone can become an entrepreneur. You are made. You don't need to be born. Okay. So I think society will be much better off if we engage more physicians to the task of solving those and solved problems that still remain in medicine. And physicians are in the forefront of detecting a problem. One of the things I say is pay attention to people that is, excuse me for the language, pissed off around you. Because when someone uh, has detected a problem, usually he's worried about that, that problem. So as a physician, you need to be able to detect those areas where people are not happy and then try to do something about it, yes. Very interesting. I, I like that. Uh, I like that thought. I think if I, if I may interrupt you, think, Mike, that why why are we here trying to promoting entrepreneurship, for example, or in my case, venture capital investments in biotech in healthcare? That's because people die that should rather not, or people live difficult lives that should rather not. And I can't imagine a most interesting thing to do for a physician to try and solve without, of course. Uh, I mean, you don't need to leave your MD status or not seeing patients. Of course not. I mean, you can lead uh, both things at the same time. I've seen uh, this done many, many times in the past. Yeah. I find that many of my physician clients initially focus on protection of intellectual property, copyrights, trademarks, well before thinking about competition and in, in marketing uh, plans. Do you see this as well? Uh, to be honest, I don't believe much in, I mean, once you get your idea in front of you, uh, it's not as much as, I mean, about the business plan that, that you have, at least in medicine or in biotech, but about the problem you're trying to solve and the regulatory roadmap that you have in front of you and the IP strategies that you want to deploy to better protect your idea. And all this roadmap until it gets to the patient, right? It starts as an idea, but then it gets to the patients more quickly than people think sometimes, right? And um, let me tell you something that I think could be of value. I mean, for example, when just to judge how good or bad is an idea, let me tell you that uh, when I present some ideas to, to my team here, for example, if everybody agrees with me that this is a good idea, I am too late already because you need 
I mean, in a very good idea, an idea that excels is disruptive and many people won't understand it, right? There's a saying also in my field, if it works, it is already obsolete because people are working on the next version, you know? So um, uh, I don't care too much about marketing plans or these kind of things. What I care is about the idea and what is the roadmap, the plan to make it happen because let me be a bit aggressive here if I may, Mike. I mean, Please. the value of an idea is zero, believe me. Nothing, rien, niente. I don't know more languages to express that. If you take it to the marketplace, then it can be worth a lot of both money and social return on investment as well. But the value of an idea is in its execution. So, so I'm worried about the execution of the idea, how the team is to make it happen. What are their skills? What are their motivations, their internal drive? And, and above all, will this be a part of the future of medicine? You know, because there are many, many ideas that are great, but maybe there are some other approaches to that very same problem that would be more interesting for the future. So when choosing your idea, you need to be very careful that it's not only a good idea, but also it is in a field that it's going to project itself into the future and become a part of medicine in the future. If you want an example, I don't know, uh, a gene therapy versus a small molecule treatment for a rare disease, probably the gene therapy is going to solve much better the, the disease, right? So uh, doing, I mean, solving a problem is not enough. That, that's maybe the central message that I wanted to convey with this part of the interview. It's not about solving a problem. It's about solving a problem better than the other approaches that you have around. Okay, that's very important. Many physicians today are employed by large health systems or academic institutions. How does being an employee impact the entrepreneurial process? Well, that's a very good question, Mike, because that's part of the problem why we have less entrepreneurship than we should in medicine, okay? I think, uh, of course, when you are an MD, you devote yourself to uh, treating patients all day long, all week long, and it's very difficult to get entrepreneurial. But then, they, I mean, you, you need to start thinking as well in terms of, because if you're an MD, it's because you want to help people out, of course, but you can help millions of people out if you bring your entrepreneurial idea to the marketplace, uh, or if you are a research uh, physician as well, and you have found a new molecule, a new gene therapy, a new cell therapy, a new synthetic biology approach to tackle some disease. I mean, you should devote a little bit of your time and institutions and hospitals and centers should allow precisely. I mean, we need clearer rules of the game here for innovation to happen, you know? But this is a problem that happens throughout the world. But I'm, I think in the US, I'm curious about your question because I think, and I've been there for quite a long time, I think this is less of a problem than in Europe. In Europe is even more pressing this problem, you know, because in, in the States, physicians are, I mean, they retain some a major degree of freedom that in Europe is not so common, you know. But in any way, in any case, I mean, your question is very relevant. Rules of the game needs to be clarified. I, I agree. Um, at what point or points do you recommend physician entrepreneurs involve accountants or lawyers 
uh, ancillary people, what, what point along the journey does that is best to do that? Yeah, well, it's not about exactly the roles that they need to involve. I mean, the immediate answer to your question is from the very beginning, but it's not about lawyers or accountants. It's about team members. I mean, nobody does anything of real value on its own, on his own, right, or her own. You need to be surrounded by, by very interesting people, very smart people, and first task of an entrepreneur regardless of the area, but especially in healthcare as well, is surround yourself with the abilities that you're lacking, okay? And that needs to be addressed from the very beginning, especially if you want to attract venture capital money. Because if that's the case, we venture capitalists, we don't invest in ideas, as I said, we invest in the execution of ideas, and the, the execution is, is made by people. So this is a people industry. And we trust people with our money and we help them out because it's not just about the money that, that we invest. It's, it's as well about all the effort that we put from the board of directors of that company into trying to make it happen, right? So uh, it is very important to be surrounded by the right people. Sometimes there are lawyers, yes, but I doubt this is the right profile. Usually it's somebody that, who knows very well the regulatory aspect of what you're trying to do. Some, some other guy that knows a lot, I don't know, about the preclinical studies that need to be done, et cetera, et cetera. You know? So you need to be surrounded by the right people, for sure. And the sooner the better, believe me. In your book, you talk about the need of healthcare professionals to leverage MBA skills in their entrepreneurial endeavors, such as deal making or negotiations or, or strategy. Could you ex expand on your philosophy a little bit more here? Well, you know, the problem is that physicians, we don't speak the language of innovation and entrepreneurship. That's, uh, that's a fact. I mean, some physicians do, of course, but uh, it's not a common thing. We are very focused on research and on our own specialties and uh, in neurology or cardiology or whatever the specialty you have. But let me tell you, it is not difficult at all to know the language of entrepreneurship and innovation as well, you know? And this kind of, of, uh, of things that the MBAs teach is something that any physician should be able to learn very, very quickly. Uh, and this includes, of course, uh, strategical thinking, the ability to negotiate, the ability to look into the future and try to anticipate that future, which is, by the way, one of my favorite topics. Uh, I mean, how to predict the future, because if you ask me, I mean, what I do for a living is I try to predict the future. Sometimes I, I am right and many times I am wrong, you know, but the key thing here is having an open mind to try to anticipate what's going to happen in the future. So all those skills precisely when I wrote that book back, uh, I mean, a few years ago, I, I was thinking in trying to explain that different world, because I'm not saying difficult, because it is not difficult, but different approach to life offered by a more business-like language. It's about the language, and I think all physicians uh, would gain really a lot by learning to, to speak it. Yeah. I. I agree with you. Now, when we first started, you mentioned that that your fund receives, I, I believe you said somewhere in the order of 500 to 1000 uh, different 
pitches or proposals per year. Can you walk me through how your fund sorts through those, what the process is, and what makes some stand out far more than others? What what makes a, a great proposal and how does I the process love work? That question. I really love that question, especially the second part of it. And let me explain. I mean, of course, we we are a team of, of very, I mean, science-driven people here at our venture capital fund. There's a team of analysts that go through the ideas, the 1,000 ideas, for example, per year. And uh, they select those 50 ideas that are worth being studied, okay? More deeply, let's put it that way. And those 50 ideas then go into a process of more interviews with entrepreneurs and more deep thinking about the quality of the idea and the things that need to be done until we finally select, let's say, 10 ideas per year that are worth this final effort of a due diligence, a full due diligence, a full negotiation with the team, et cetera. And at the end, only half of those get to a final deal because sometimes we, we, we I don't know, we don't find that common ground or whatever. But the most important part is the selection of the idea in its origins. And can I, I mean, can I explain an anecdote that I think it illustrates very well the point? It's a historical anecdote. I love art, by the way. And uh, and this is an anecdote that I think the audience will understand. I mean, what do you feel when you are in front of a very good idea? Okay, and I'm going to put an analogy. I'm going back to uh, the 50s. Pollock, the great American uh, abstract expressionist painter, was painting the first time he was doing his drip paintings and he called his wife, Lee Krasner, who was as well an American expressionist painter. And uh, he called her and showed the, the, the canvas laying on the floor. And you know what? He never asked, is this good? He asked instead, is this a painting? Like the guy wasn't sure if this was even a painting. So when you are in front of, of a very good idea, you you really have this feeling of, can this be done? I mean, and, and these are the ideas that really drive the medicine into the future. You know, let me let me explain another anecdote uh, because I think they illustrate very well. Um, this is a famous story about Albert Einstein. Um, he was teaching at Oxford uh, back in, in at the beginning of the 20th century. And he was uh, giving an exam to his students, okay? And then he gives the exam to all the students and the students start to answer the questions. And then one aide of, of, of Einstein comes and says, but Professor Einstein, this is exactly the very same exam that, 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 that you yet to made last year. So they're going to know, and Einstein said, no, don't worry, the answers have changed. Because in medicine, things change so incredibly quickly that it doesn't matter knowing a lot about a field, you need to be on top of the field all the time, read all the papers that you can. So it's it's a very time demanding um, um, endeavor. But um, 
when analyzing good ideas, you, you need to identify those ideas that are really breakthroughs because it's not about investing in something that could fly. It's about investing on something that will change people's lives and do so in the most aggressive and positive way, you know? So, so that's the challenge that we're talking about. You mentioned timing, that, that medicine is very time, time sensitive. How long does the process take for someone that applies to your fund? If assuming that they're successful, what would the, the time be involved? I would say in normal circumstances, from the moment they get into the door, since we do have an investment executed, probably three to four months. And you would say it is very uh, slow and you are right, but you, we take our time in, in doing a property due diligence and, uh, and calling key opinion leaders throughout the world to check on the, on the uh, physician's idea and uh, see all its potential caveats, you know? I love CEOs that are paranoid. I mean, this is the best quality that a CEO can have. I mean, someone that is worried about everything. Sometimes I, at the at the end of one of our meetings, I usually ask um, this, this tricky question, and I always do that at the end, just to cut them off guard, you know? But what worries you? What doesn't let you sleep at night, Mr. CEO? And uh, there are two types of, of CEOs, the ones that say nothing or, getting the money or I'm very confident that I will get until the end or whatever. This is one type, but then there's a good type. I mean, the, the right CEO who is the one who starts with the list. Well, I'm worried that in Stanford, somebody else is doing that. I'm worried that the patent is not going to fly. I'm worried that the clinical studies will need a very large end. I'm not sure the science will stand when you get to this. I, I mean, and I need to stop them. Okay, stop. I understand. Stop it. But these are the good ones, the paranoids that, that are worried about everything and pay attention to a very close detail of everything that's going on, you know? So, um, yeah. Well, I imagine it takes a certain amount of personal courage to tell the person that you want funding from all the potential flaws of your idea. Yeah, you know, there's two things here to answer this question. Number one, and I'm sorry to be so brutally straightforward, but I'm afraid I'm not in a popularity contest. That's that's one thing. And, and uh, all I care about is solving people's problems. And, and I don't pretend to be right. I mean, I sincerely don't know. When I reject a company, it's not necessarily because it's a bad idea. It's something that probably I cannot help enough or for whatever reason, I don't think it's going gonna, it's gonna to fly. But I may be wrong, of course. But um, that's on the one hand. But on the other hand, let me tell you that uh, it is such a privilege to work surrounded by such great physicians all day long. I mean, all my meetings are amazing because these are, I mean, incredibly smart people, incredibly talented people, willing to bring something good for patients in the future. This is such a privilege. You, you can't imagine. Uh, it's So yes, on the one hand, I'm not in a popularity contest. I'm sorry, but, but there's no, no offense at all. It's, it's just a, a judgment, you know? Uh, but on the other hand, it's it's so rewarding, and 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 I think it's rewarding. I want to think it's rewarding for both sides because we try to give them, regardless of whether we invest or we do not, 
all the advice that we can. It's like going to a free consultancy, uh, but a good one, you know, because we have very good specialists here in, in, in tackling with all kinds of problems that entrepreneurs may face uh, during uh, their, their, I mean, when they are building their companies, right? So, yeah, it's... Um, but yes, you you are right, Mike. Uh, I'm sometimes I'm not very popular. That's true. Oh, it's a problem we all face, Doctor. If one of our listeners, and I would I would love to believe that there's someone listening to our our podcast today that has an idea that will be extraordinarily beneficial for for mankind. If we have a physician in our our audience today, uh, Doctor, that has an idea for innovation or a device or a healthcare business, could you lay out the first three things that he or she should do? Yeah. Number one is think very carefully. I mean, I always recommend uh, when you have, I mean, let's put it that way. You have identified a problem and you want to solve it. Okay. First thing you need to do is number one, surrounded yourself with the right team to try and solve it. That's number one. At the same time, because it's not about the position of what to do, but uh, they should, I mean, do everything at the same time. Same time, you need to think very carefully about other alternatives that there are in the world, trying to move forward to solve the very same problem. Because again, it's not about solving a problem. It's about solving a problem in the better way possible. So you need to be very aware of your competition. I recommend uh, all those physicians to paint some sort of, of, uh, of competition landscape where you figure out who else is trying to solve the, the very same problem. And then, I mean, think very carefully about what you, you need to do to, for the idea to get into the patients. And the most important thing probably, or they are all very important, but um, try to refine your science and get the best proof of concept that you can uh, achieve. You know, I mean, the right experiment, asking the right questions that shows that your solution to the problem is going gonna, is gonna to fly and it's going to be a very good one, that it brings a very good delta on patients. Sometimes it's an animal model of your disease. If you're a researcher, if you have a medical device, then sometimes it's 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 a mock uh, device that that has been used uh, in, not in a human environment, of course, but by physicians that uh, say that this is great for them or whatever. I mean, try to prove. I mean, try to find the reasons why your investor is going to invest in you because the first one to really believe in your idea, of course, is yourself as an entrepreneur, right? So you, you need to uh, not only to be very enthusiastic, but to have the proof as well, you know? And, um, and the proof is usually accomplished by having a proof of concept. Uh, uh, depending on the field, it looks like a different thing, but uh, you all understand what I mean. It's uh, something that shows the world and specifically at this time, your investor, your future investor, that it is worth it to uh, give it a try. My guest has been Dr. Luis Barras. Doctor, thank you so much for your time. And thank you also for improving medicine worldwide by your efforts. 
I think you are doing fabulous work and we appreciate you being on Sound Practice. Thank you, sir. That was my pleasure, Mike. Thank you so much for having me and, uh, and good luck. Anything you need from me or you or, or, or anyone from the audience, please, uh, I'm sure my email will be there or some, I mean, it is easy to find me. Please uh, drop me an email and I'm very happy to help when I can. Thank you. My thanks to Dr. Ruiz Pereiras for sharing his time and knowledge. The role of the venture capitalists in the healthcare sector cannot be overstated. My thanks also to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making this podcast possible. Please join me next time on Sound Practice. We release a new episode every other Wednesday. Bada bing, bada You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Robin. Red Book of Power.